You're, you guys are awesome. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Hebrews 7. If you don't have a Bible, you guys know the routine. We, we'd be happy to let you borrow one. And you just got to raise your hand so the guys can see you and they'll get a Bible to you. We're picking up where we left off. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 28, the rest of the chapter this morning. And welcome again for those of you who are visiting, or this may be your second time. It's great to see you back. Thank you. We, we've been considering the writer's presentation of Christ as the great high priest that God sent essentially to replace the Old Testament priesthood. And it's one of the major points of the writer's encouragement to these believers, and hopefully for us as well, that in Jesus Christ, now that we've come to faith in Christ, we have all that we need. There is no need for us to go back to the old life, whatever that old life might have been, whether it was a religious, legalistic life, or what was like mine, just a loose, you know, sinful, dark life. Uh, there is no need to go back to the old life. Everything that we have is found in Christ, and so there's no need to keep uh, religious rituals. There's no need to keep oneself subjected uh, in subject to old rules and those things. Uh, the writer is letting the believers here know, listen, we have Jesus and we have everything. And, and if you're with us, you might remember that he, in, in verses 18 and 19, he made a little bit of a of a startling statement. Uh, it might have been a, an affront to the, the original audience as they heard what the writer wrote, that the law of Moses was weak, that it was unprofitable, that it uh, made nothing perfect. That was 18 and 19. But he adds that one benefit it did do was that it, in one sense, realizing that it opened up this space for us to realize we need then something better. If this, if this cannot bring us, uh, allow us to truly draw near to God, well, what can? And so that, that, that's where he's developing this thought that, that we have been brought into a better hope because of Jesus Christ. Those who are far from God can now draw near to God. And this is where we left off from last week. We pick up now in verse 20 where the writer is going to focus his attention on uh, another point of his argument of how Jesus is indeed better. And, and we already saw a little bit of, about that earlier, that Jesus is better because Jesus is eternal. And so as we consider that this morning, this emphasis upon this point, the question for us will be, okay, what is it? What did it mean for them? But what's the impact in our lives today? Like, well, what is this information how does that transform us today? How does that impact us today? And of course, that's what we're, our aim is. So I entitled our message, A Better Covenant. It's just taken right out of the text uh, there in verse 22. But uh, if you're there with me, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'll read a couple of these verses. We'll just read to verse 24, get a little bit of a running head start, and then we'll unpack the rest as we get to these verses. We drop in at verse 20, and the writer says, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, he's speaking about Jesus now, and then parenthetically he adds for verse 21, For they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath. So Jesus with an oath by him, that's God, 
the father who said to him, the Lord has sworn and he will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And of course, the writers quoted Psalm 110 verse 4 several times now. And then he adds this, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee or guarantor of a better covenant. All right, we'll pause there. Uh, We'll unpack the rest, but we'll pause there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning in your word. Lord, as always, we thank you for your love and your grace, your goodness in our lives. Lord, for how your grace is manifested in so many ways in in providing for us abundantly beyond all that we need. Lord, in providing a, a place for us to gather publicly that we can worship you openly. And Lord, to study your word, we thank you, God, for such a privilege. We know so much of the world um, does not have what we have. And so, God, we do not want to take that for granted. Father, we thank you for really the, the as we say here, the, the, the currency of our faith, just relationship with you, but relationship with one another. So we thank you for the friendships and the familyships in Christ that we get to form and forge and, and to be encouraged. And Lord, that we'll um, bless each other and challenge each other. Lord, we thank you for the people that are standing next to us and around us. And Lord, we thank you ultimately for your word, for your spirit, as we have this time to open it, to read it, to study it. Speak to our hearts, we pray. And Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but for all the other chapels and churches and fellowships here in Okinawa and Japan that are proclaiming your word. Father, pour out your spirit in a mighty way. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, would you take a moment and say hello? You just wave at somebody or just greet them. I didn't get to ask our sister Yumi, who's translating into Japanese for us this morning, so I apologize. But uh, so I'm not sure if the the phrase translates. But have you heard the fra- the English phrase? They don't make them like they used to. Hear that phrase? Maybe you, you've said that before. Uh, I personally do uh, believe that many items today seem to break much easier uh, than they did when I was younger. They they seem to wear out much quicker. Uh, than things even made some years ago. And, and it's almost like the manufacturers make things disposable or breakable on purpose. You might remember a few years ago, there's a little bit of a scandal in that uh, Apple was accused, and I think they found out that it was true, that they were writing code into their uh, operating system. So when you would do a software update, it would drain your old batteries quicker. And they got caught, you remember that? And so they had to, you know, make some changes. Well, I found out, I learned something new as I'm preparing this week for our study, that there's actually a term for it. Uh, it's called planned obsolescence, uh, where manufacturers put forth products designed on purpose to wear out or on purpose to stop being useful after some predetermined time so that you and I as consumers will have to buy more things after uh, a short period. And so here are a couple examples. Uh, Printer ink cartridges. 
not only do they wear out quick, but I don't know about you, they're so expensive, right? It's like, do I put my daughter in college or do I want, you know, colored printing for my homeschool kids? I, you know, that, you have to choose. Uh, uh, computer software is another one. Although they've started to change their model, it used to be, right, where you got a, a, you know, a, a software, then you'd have to pay for the update. Now they're a little bit more tricky where they make you pay for a subscription. And so you're just locked into paying for something every year. Or, or light bulbs are another example. Although the, the newer LED ones uh, you know, are supposed to last longer, have way more hours, but they're not infinity bulbs, right? Um, so they, uh, they have a planned obsolescence. And, the, and a lot of things are like that. We know electronics and cars and shoes and pens, uh, tools, they don't last. They seem to break easy. They seem to break down. The McDonald's ice cream machine, right? It's always broken, that thing. <laughs> so many things have planned obsolescence. It's, it's designed on purpose to be temporary. Well, here in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer might have stunned some people when he makes the case that the Old Testament priesthood, along with the sacrificial system, was designed by the manufacturer, that's God, with a planned obsolescence in mind. And he goes on to explain all of this in great detail. And he's not done, by the way. We're going to still hear more of this and more of the details. But even though he takes uh, a lot of length to explain it, we have to realize the emphasis, though, the reason why he's saying this is to point us to the fact that Yes, there was a planned obsolescence, and yet at the same time, God has provided, if you will, a free upgrade program, that God has a better deal, and that everything about it is better. There's a better hope. There's a better covenant. There's a better country that we're going to. There's a better promise that God gives us. There's uh, you know, a, a, a better mediator, a better ministry. And all of this is possible because we have a better priest, Jesus Christ, who brings us into and provides for us all of these better things. And so here in these verses from 20 to 28, the writer explains further how the parts of the old system were inferior they have a planned obsolescence, and how the new system, if you will, the new covenant, a better covenant, is absolutely perfect. And so I draw your attention back to verse 20 and 21. We'll read them together. We're told that inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are priests forever according to the order of Mechizedek. Your attention. So before this, as I mentioned earlier, the writer wanted to demonstrate how faith in Jesus Christ is all that a person needs to draw close to the Lord and to know God. And one of the ways that he wants to demonstrate this is by assuring them and reassuring them and almost over-assuring them. And he's going to keep on bringing this point that we no longer need the Old Testament. The system of priests and the sacrifices God instituted, yes, but they were temporary. And therefore, 
Now that you're in Christ, you no longer need to follow the Levitical priests, that system, all that came from Aaron, because God sent us Jesus, who now is a replacement, a final installment to be our great high priest. He anticipates some of their questions. He anticipates some of their objections. One of them was, well, the high priest was supposed to be taken from among men. Isn't Jesus the Son of God? And so he anticipated this, and he took some time, and if you weren't with us, I encourage you to go back and read some of the earlier chapters where he explains this, that yes, Jesus came, and he had to come. In order to fulfill that requirement, he had to be made like us. And so yes, while Jesus is God, fully God, but he is also fully man. And so the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus came as a man. He then fulfilled, if you will, the requirement of being a priest. Of course, as a person, then as coming as a human being, then he also explained that Jesus went through, you know, temptations, yet without sin. And that he was a person who suffered, and he suffered horribly, both physically and inwardly, emotionally. And therefore, the point that he makes for us is that not only does he qualify then in terms of being a high priest, but really beyond that, that we have a high priest who then can fully sympathize with us, who can fully empathize with us, that Jesus knows exactly what we're going through at any time. Our high highs and our low lows, the darkest of days, the most despairing place that you can find yourself, understand that Jesus is right there with you that he fully understands, and I would add that he fully cares. The Bible says that we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And he then is able then to meet us where we're at, and in his grace accept you where you're at, and love you where you're at, and comfort you in everything that you would go through. That is our Jesus. He also assured them that just because Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, that that is his human lineage, it didn't disqualify him. He would say, well, everybody knows that Jesus came from Judah, and everybody knows that it's the Levites that God had appointed as priests, so he provides a biblical reason why Jesus still qualifies. There's actually another priesthood, and that's been his argument for the last few chapters. It's seen in this man by the name of Melchizedek. He's a little bit of an interesting figure. He only appears in the book of Genesis, and he's mentioned again in Psalm 110, which the writer will quote many times for us. And the writer goes on to explain how Melchizedek's priesthood actually is greater than Aaron's. It predates Aaron's. And that he himself, therefore, not only is he greater than Aaron, in fact, he's, he proves that he's greater than Aaron because he proves that he's greater than Abraham. That Abraham came and Abraham gave this priest a tithe. And then Abraham wasn't the one who blessed him, but in fact received the blessing from Melchizedek. And so he's you know, uh, making this argument or presentation of how Jesus is greater now because of this greater priesthood through Melchizedek. Now his argument is continuing. His presentation continues and now, to, in a sense, to, to add to that, to top it off, he says, let, let, just to make sure there's no doubt to what I'm saying, 
that God himself said this is going to be. Like if you've had any question about you know, my reference to Genesis, you have any question about how Jesus came in as a, as a man, let, let me just put this to bed, if you will. That he would say that God himself declared it. So if God said it, then that settles it. And once again, he turns to Scripture to make his case. That God would swear an oath. And because God then makes this promise, it seals the deal. You know, several years ago, uh, I used to have this special base pass that allowed myself and one other guest to get on base, these are Marine Corps bases, in all of Japan, and I could eat at any of the base restaurants. That's a great pass. I miss it. And, and I realized it was an unusual pass because often when I'd go through the gate, the gate guards would would stop and study it. And then sometimes they would make phone calls as though like I just manufactured this special pass myself. And so they have the call to verify. And, and it was a legitimate, it was issued by the base and it had the seal, you know, it was embossed and, and it was signed off by the commanding general. And so, and so, you know, Popeye's chicken, here I come, right? And so... The author is making this point in verses 20 and 21 to say, listen, this special priesthood of Mechizeldek that Jesus is a part of, it, it's signed off by the commanding general of the universe. That Jesus, his position and his qualification as high priest, it was by direct appointment from a promise that God had made. And how do we know? What's the verifying fact of that? Well, we have written proof. It's Psalm 110, verse 4, where God tells David, King David, who then David records to tell everybody how the Father had promised the Son, swore to him, that you are going to be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so the author for us explains that they, speaking of the Levites, that they became priests, but they didn't have that same special promise. For them, it was just part of the regular rotation. It was part of the system that God instituted with beginning with Aaron and the rest of the tribe of Levi. And so it just kind of went on an automatic if you're born in that family, remember I told you, you knew exactly what your job was. But on contrast, he, speaking of Jesus, he has this unusual, unique pass, if you will. It was given to him by God, promised and sworn by this oath. God made a promise, God has sworn, you're going to be a priest forever. And so the writer then concludes, then inasmuch as he was made, or as he was not made priest without an oath. Oh, I just said that, sorry. Verse 22. So by so much more than Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And so the idea is, is that with a greater credentials, if you will, greater confirmation. Christ has become the guarantor of a better covenant. And this statement ties us back to his point in verse 12. His point back in verse 12 was, 
there had to be a change of the law because there was a change of the priesthood or vice versa. There was a change of the priesthood and because there's a change of the priesthood, that, therefore it means there has to be a change of the law. And his point really is this, that, that Jesus had to come in order to be the one to enact this new, better covenant. Because the old system would not work with the new priest, and the new system would not work with the old priesthood. That God wanting and promising that there was going to be a a new arrangement, a new covenant, a new type of relationship that he was going to bring in, well, it needed then a new exeter of that. It needed a new moderator of that. That the new priest wouldn't work with the old system and the old, and the old priest wouldn't work with the new system. The whole thing had to come as a package. So, Speaking of iPhones, you remember when they first came out, they had the 30-pin charger, the big wide thing? And then some years ago, they switched it. Remember, and they switched it to the lightning cable? And I don't know about you, but I, I, I had gotten these other devices that had the 30-pin adapter where you could you know, just set your phone to charge it or play the radio, and now all of a sudden it's obsolete, right? Like, oh, man, what am I going to do with this? I'm going to try to sell it before, you know. And then you just find that everybody else is selling their iHome uh, you know, devices that, at the 30-pin connector. In some ways, it was such a hassle because all the old chargers, all the speakers, all of the things that came with it, that whole system, if you will, it became obsolete. You had to get all the new stuff, all the new components, all the new chargers, all the new headphones. All of that stuff had to work with, well, the new phone that came. And so in a similar way, all the old stuff of the old covenant and how it all worked together. Well, God was bringing in something new. In order to bring in something new, then God had to bring in a new priest and a new priesthood to bring in Jesus as our high priest and all the old components then, all the old stuff that came with the old system, it was then set aside. It's replaced. It had a planned obsolescence. Jesus then comes in, and we're told that he then is the surety. He's the guarantor. He is the, the executor of this, the writer calls, a better covenant. Now, he doesn't explain the better covenant, not right away. He's going to wait until uh, chapter 9 and 10 uh, to unpack all of it. But what is the better covenant? Hopefully you know it, it's the new covenant the Bible talks about. When Jesus was there in the upper room and he explained that God was bringing a new covenant, a replacement. The beautiful fact that anyone can enter into a right standing with God the Father whether Jew or Gentile, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, that we can come before the God of all the universe and experience 
and enter into a loving relationship with Him. And it's not on our merits. It's not on what we've done. It's not about how good we are, how religious we are. It's not about our continually bringing sacrifices as a substitute for our sins like the old system did. But it is by accepting, really, the gift that, of God, wholly accepting with our whole heart, our whole being, to understand that God loves you. And because of His great love for you, and because of His great grace and mercy, our sin, which separates us from the Lord, God said, and sent Jesus to then to be a, a replacement, a substitute. All that the Old Testament portrayed and pointed us to, Jesus fulfilled. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who came then and was born as a human, who lived a perfect life without sin because we couldn't, and then died on a cross on a hill called Calvary, and three days later, after he was buried, he rose again to prove the claim of who he was, that he was God, that he was going to rise again. And when you and I then turn from our sins, we, we recognize the fact that we are sinners Yet God loves us, and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Well, then we enter into this relationship with the Lord. We're saved. We're born again. The Bible uses all kinds of, uh, of amazing descriptors. We've been rescued. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted. And all of this, really, why? Because God pursued you. Because God loves you. The Bible says even while we're yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us by sending Christ. The idea that even when we didn't want anything to do with God, well, God wanted a relationship with you. And so he provides then a permanent, everlasting means to erase our guilt and our shame and our sins forever so that we can be forgiven and then know and enjoy and worship and be with God forever. It is the deal of a lifetime, if you will. All by God's love, all by God's grace, all by God's mercy, all because of what Christ has done. And the amazing, mind-blowing part of it is, it's our part, if you will, is just to receive salvation as a gift that God's offering. To, to acknowledge the truth that I am a sinner, I am not good, God is good. See, that, that's the better covenant that Jesus guarantees. That's the new covenant that Christ ushers in, this lifetime guarantee. And really, probably the most important question that any of us can answer is, are we a partaker of that new covenant? Have we entered into that new covenant? Have we responded to God's call to you in His invitation, His drawing you, His revealing Himself and His love and His grace to you? Have you received, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, listen, today, right now, you can. It's really not so much about the, the words that you say, but ultimately it's about the posture of your heart of just acknowledging. The Bible says when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. The Bible says that 
with the heart one believes and with the mouth we confess. And if we do that, that Jesus is Lord, then we'll be saved. And understand, it's more than just lip service. I hope that you understand that. It's sincerity of your heart, of your, um, well, just coming to acceptance of the truth. And so here that Jesus, we're told, is the guarantor of this better covenant. He goes on in verse 23 and 24 to provide additional thoughts of how the old way is imperfect. So he's not done with his argument. He's not done with his case. He says, also, I have some more to say. He says, also, there, there were many priests... Why were there many priests? Because they were prevented by death from continuing. That's a funny way of saying it, right? They all died. They're mortal. He had said that earlier. Because they're mortal, back in verse 8. And because they were mortal, there are many. It was just the cycle. They had to keep going. But contrast, verse 24, but, but he, speaking of Jesus, but Jesus, he gets to continue forever. Because he lives forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood, an everlasting priesthood. He is installed and he stays installed. The old way is imperfect, the, the new way is perfect. The old way is weak, how is it weak? Well, one of the ways that it was weak is the priests of the old system, they died. Well, how is that, a weak, how's that weak? It created the cycle then of priests. And by the way, not only was death a limiting factor, but God actually designed the priesthood to be cyclic. Because as I mentioned, if you were born in the Levi tribe as a, as a male, and of course all of the family served the Lord, but specifically as a boy, then you knew exactly what you were going to do. You're going to serve the Lord at the, the tabernacle or the temple. And there would be a schedule, there would be a rotation. But when you turned 25 years old, you entered into a type of internship, if you will. And then at 30, you then were able to, you were then anointed to then be priest or high priest. And then for 20 years, and only 20 years, when, then when you turned 50, you're done. Now you still serve the Lord, but you didn't serve in that same capacity. And so not only did death create a cycle, but just the system itself created this cycle. And I thought, man, if we were living under the Old Testament rules, I'd have one more year that I'm done. Maybe that's not a bad system after all. Right? And so the problem then, you can imagine with the cycle, is that it created this, uh, a consistency issue with the quality of the person, of the integrity, of the care. Because then it was dependent upon who is the priest and who's the high priest. And you read the Old Testament, you realize, oh, that quality issue comes to light, in fact, in just the next cycle. It's Aaron's own kids that have an issue. It only takes one generation before the thing starts to go sideways. And it wasn't just true of the priests, it was true of the kings. You get a good one for a season, then a so-so one, and you get a bad one. Well, all of the northern tribe, all of them were bad. 
It was true of the priests, unfortunately. And so God at times would speak through the prophets and say, I, my paraphrase, I'm done with you guys. You're just taking advantage of the sheep. You're fleecing the flock. And he would say, guess what? There's going to be a time I'm going to raise up a shepherd after my own heart. And I'm going to raise up shepherds after my own heart. Why? Because the priesthood itself had become corrupt. Because the weakness is the cycle of it. The weakness is because, well, it's sinful, fallen man who we're serving in that role. And, and you know, we experience the same thing today as well, right? With our, our own bosses and leaders, politicians and teachers and coaches, you get good ones and you get bad ones. You get a so-so one. We experience that on every, almost every arena of life. Your hairdresser, right? Your barber. You go to all of a sudden like, where's so-and-so? Oh, they left. Oh, no. You know. Happens with our doctors. Oh, I remember my doctor some years ago and she told me, uh, Barnato-san, I'm going to be leaving. Like, where are you going? She had been my doctor for 10 years. And I was genuinely sad. I'd always try to mess with her because she'd always say, hey, Barnato-san, you should lose weight. I'm like, oh, I'm eating beans now. She's like, great. I'm like, yeah, jelly beans. And, you know, she... I think she chuckled inside, but she'd always just kind of give me like. So the day she told me she's moving back down to Itoman, I, I got all teary-eyed. I was like, what's going on with me? You know, I felt like I was back in middle school again when the girls were like, oh, it's not you, it's, it's me. I just need some time. And I had like middle school flashbacks. No, we're breaking up, you know. And so. so unreliable. You know, many of you, you know, you know that. You experience that. In some ways, you experience that. Many of you, just because your life is cyclic. <laughs> this year or next year or in two years, right? You're going to get a piece of paper. There's going to be email. And you're going to go somewhere else. And you're going to have to then find another church and another pastor and another chaplain. And, you know, uh, I pray for you. I know it's not easy. Finding a a decent or a good church home and a healthy spiritual community and leaders. It's hard. And you finally find one and they become friends and friends that become family and then all of a sudden it's time to leave and you got to go through this. The cycle continues. Verse 24 reminds us this beautiful fact though. Um, Jesus doesn't change pastor may change, and the chaplain may change, and the priesthood changed, and your boss may change, and your duty station may change, and you might have to change churches at times, but listen, Jesus never changes. He is our permanent, eternal, great high priest, and because he lives forever, we have then, we have an unchangeable priesthood, and that is why Jesus had to usher in this new system because the Levites wouldn't qualify. They live, they die. Jesus alone can serve in this role. And then you and I get to come to Jesus forever and for anything forever. And so again, therefore, if that is the case, let's make our own application. We don't need to go back to anything else. Because Christ is your constant, your loving, gracious, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-caring, did I already say loving? All-loving, constant. 
in this crazy, ever-changing, very dynamic world. Listen, gang, I, I pray that you know this. I try to be sincere and honest before you when I say this. As much as, as I and we sincerely love you and, and seek to feed spiritually, give you God's word, the milk and the meat of the word, and, and tend to the bride of Christ as God would have us. And I know I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account one day that's very uh, sobering and scary at the same time. And I realize that there are times that for you, you know, sometimes we may not be a good fit. Just a, there's a difference of style. And at times, you know, maybe um, you have a certain expectation and we miss that expectation. I hope that you know that that's never our intention, but that's reality. It happens. But I do, I do personally think there's no such thing as a, as a perfect church either. Not on this side of eternity. You know the saying, right? If you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. Have you heard that saying? Because right? if you join it, then it won't be perfect anymore. I don't say that to you. Alex does, but you know. It reminds me of that story. You guys know that story? I've told it before some, some time ago. There's a sole survivor on this deserted island. He'd been living there for, for years. Then finally a rescue ship comes and the, you know, they drop anchor, and the, the rescue team arrives there by boat, and the, you know, the captain comes off, and he rescues the man. He's all excited, and then he's like, hey, are you here by yourself? He says, yes, I'm all alone. I'm the only one here, and then he says, well, he looks behind him, and he sees these three huts. Have you guys heard this one before? No? All right, all right, good. So, so he says, well, if you're alone, why are these three huts here? And the guy says, oh, well, that first one, that's my house. And the second one, that's my church. And then the captain says, well, what's the third one? He's like, oh, that's the church I used to go to, but they're so, they're so mean there. So. <laughs> There's no perfect church. And, and gang, listen, we, we certainly don't want to make the mistake, I, I would say, that others have made to think that uh, to ha have a healthy relationship with Christ, uh, it exists or can be found solely outside of the church. Because there are those who say, yeah, listen, the church is imperfect and it's messed up and it's organized religion and all these things. And so they think, oh, I'll just have my own relationship with the Lord outside of the church. Now, there's a part of me, I, I get it. Because there are times where Christians can be mean, right? There are times where you have sheep that are biting sheep. That's not, that's not what we're supposed to do, but that happens because, well, because we're sinful. But I, I don't think you can escape Scripture where the Lord Himself has set the church as His bride and calls the church His bride. And that all of us are works in progress. All of us are dysfunctional to one degree or another. We all need grace. And yet God puts us together in this crazy thing called the church so that we can grow together. So that we can experience grace and forgiveness and love and spur each other on. In fact, that's where He's going to Bring us later on in chapter 10. Let's consider one another, he'll say in uh, 1024. How then we can spur each other on to good deeds and love. And then 1025 says, and let's not then neglect the gathering of ourselves together as the manner of some, but even much more so as we see the day of Christ approaching. 
And so, yes, we, uh, if you call Calvary Okinawa your home for a season, you're going to realize we're dysfunctional. <laughs> but through it all, remember that Christ is our forever pastor, if you will. Christ is our forever priest. And really, he is so much more than that. But for the writer's point, Jesus is better because Jesus lives forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. Here's his own conclusion, verse 25. Therefore, Christ then is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What a great, very powerful verse. Here is a, a tremendous conclusion. Here is an, a, a great implication of information, of the writer's point. Because Jesus lives forever, because he uniquely qualifies as our eternal high priest, because God gave him this unique promise and oath and ordination, Jesus then is able and completely able, always able, to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. No human priest could offer sacrifice for all sins, all the time, for everybody. They were limited. That was the weakness of the old system. They were limited by the fact of who they are, and he'll explain that later on, that they themselves had to stand in line and make sacrifices for their own sin. They're limited by the fact that they lived and died, and they're limited by the fact that they were limited in number. And so no human priest could offer sacrifice for all sin. They would never live long enough to do so. And yet Jesus can. He uniquely qualifies, and he could, and he did, because he lives forever. And therefore Christ then saves us in a way that the Old Testament never could. And so the idea then saying of of speaking of Jesus that he saves to the uttermost. On one hand, it's meant to, it implies the idea that God can then save anyone, no matter how sinful they may be, no matter how sinful you may think you are. For years, I tried to get my dad when he was here before he passed away to come to church. And he'd always say, no, if I go to your church, it's going to burn down. I'm like, no, it's not, dad. We, we have the wrong idea to think that, oh, I'm too far away. I've done too many bad things. Now listen, gang, the blood of Jesus Christ is, is as powerful the day that it bled, as it fell to the earth, then as it is today, to forgive us and completely forgive us and wash us and, and redeem us and set us new, to give us a new life. Jesus can save to the uttermost. Someone once said, that that should translate it, Jesus can save to the guttermost. No matter how terrible you are or how terrible you think you are, Christ will forgive you. Christ can forgive you. And Christ will accept you. 
I notice the phrase, though, when we come to him through, when we come to God through him. And so we can be the mo- you can be the most hard-hearted, or, or I'd add this, the, an uncertain, tender-hearted person. The blood of Christ is powerful enough to wash you of your guilty stains, make you completely clean. Several months ago, we were talking with this sweet uh, Japanese grandma. I think it was 80, 80 plus years young. We baptized her not too long ago. But in, in my office, as Alex and I were sharing with her, she understood the gospel, but then she said, can Jesus really forgive me? Oh man, it broke me. She said, can Jesus really accept me after all these years? And what a privilege it was to tell her, like, yeah, he can, and he will, and he has. And just to see, like, the joy that washed over her. Absolutely, yes. To every situation, in every place, in every person, Jesus is able to save. And Jesus wants to save. So it means that, but it also means that Jesus can save and redeem us completely. It's not a partial or temporary atonement. That was the weakness of the old system. You could be atoned for once a year and you're good, but as soon as you got home and then you start yelling at your kids and you kicked your cat, well, guess what? You had to go right back. But this, with the Lord, right, it is a one-time, completely satisfactory, final work that Christ has done. And it is for those who come to God through Him. That Jesus himself, or God himself, calls us then by his spirit. And it's his spirit that opens your eyes, and opens your heart to the truth of God's love and his grace. And God calls, and our response is then to come. Come to Jesus. Come to his marvelous grace. And, God, and Jesus says of himself, he is the only way. It's been our kids' verse you have kids in Sunday school. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. I mean, if that wasn't powerful and beautiful in itself, he adds then this additional thought that not only is Jesus able to save to the uttermost those of us who come to God through Christ, what else will he also, since he always lives to make intercession for us, not only does Jesus save you, but understand that Jesus prays for you, intercedes for you. Once again, what the priests could not do, what they were limited to do in a moment in time, when they were awake, when they were available, when you could get them on the phone, when they thought of it. And yet Christ always, anytime, permanently, not only does He remove our guilty stains, but He eternally intercedes for us, continually washes us, continually prays for us. He's our intermediate and He's our intercessor. Again, both are functions of His great grace towards you. What man's effort could not achieve, nor will ever achieve, Christ did. And he gave his life for you and for me on the cross. 
It is an expression of his grace. It's an expression of his love. Not only when he saved us, but the fact that he continually prays for us. And then verse 26, we're told, for such a high priest was fitting for us. That's an interesting phrase. It seems almost like we become central in that, but it's not. Christ then, for such a high priest was fitting for us. The priest is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily. Here's another way that he's explaining how the priests were weak. Because Christ doesn't need daily, as the other high priest needed, to offer up sacrifices, not only for the people, but notice it says, first for themselves. But, however, Christ did this once for all when he offered up himself. Then he adds, for the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, fallible, sinful. But the word of the oath, the promise that God gave, which came after the law, appoints the Son, Jesus Christ, who's been perfected forever. What does this last section mean? Verse 26, was it fitting for us? The idea is that God knew exactly what you needed and he provided exactly what we needed. Nothing else would do. In in some ways, God gave you and me what we needed even when we didn't realize it. Has that ever happened to you? Like somebody gave you something and then you partook of it, and you're like, wow, I didn't realize I needed that. Like a hot towel on the airplane. You put it on your face, you're like, whoa, I'm in heaven. Or a piece of cheesecake, right? I didn't know that I needed that. Thank you. What did we need? What did we need that some of us didn't know that we needed? We, we needed a high priest, but a unique high priest. One who is eternal, one who's always faithful, one who'll completely understand you, one who's always available, one who'll who'll never turn his ear, one who'll never say, Call me later. One who's truly holy, one who's truly blameless, one who's undefiled. There's no sin, there's no secret sin. It's not like later you find out, oh, there's a scandal there. One who's separate from sinners. Now understand. Not separate from sinners, the idea that he lives apart from that. But no other person in the world fits this descriptor. Jesus was separate from sinners, not like a person isolated in Rom or quarantined forever. He lived and walked and ate and drank and talked and cried with sinners. He came to sinners, a friend of sinners and yet without sin. How else was he unique? How else was he different? Well, after his death, he rose again. And now he's become higher than the heavens. He ascended. And so here the writer continues to explain how great our high priest is, how he's ushered in this better covenant. And then he adds his final statement of the inferiority of the old of the old system. The problem with the priesthood, an additional problem with the old system, was they're weak. Not only did they die, but guess what? They're just human. And because they're human, they're sinful, they had to 
offer their own sacrifices for their own stupidity, their own sins. And by the way, that's still true, right? Like pastors and chaplains and spiritual leaders are sinners. I'm a sinner, human, messed up. If I can kind of go back to another point, that's why we have to be careful that we don't anchor our faith to a person or a church or a denomination or a movement. God has given us leaders to teach and to help and mentor, and they have their place, but they're not Jesus. Our faith has to be, it must be anchored to Christ and Christ alone. It has to be built on Christ and Christ alone. He reminds us that the priests, and I'd add this today, pastors and chaplains, spiritual leaders, need forgiveness for their sins, just like every other human being on earth does. But Christ is above all of this. He is perfect. And because He's perfect, guess what? He uniquely qualifies, and He adds in this other great element, which He'll explain further. Not only is He the exeter, of the covenant, he himself is the sacrifice. Not only is he the high priest, but he, he himself lays him, himself down as the sacrifice. And the author will explain all that in great detail for us and how it fulfills the Old Testament picture in chapter 9. Again, the old system had a planned obsolescence. But God promised there's going to be a better deal. A replacement, a permanent replacement found in Christ and Christ alone. And Jesus came and he fulfilled that. Jesus is better and he provides for us something much better. And so all that we try to find in other places or people, acceptance, identity, connection, security, confidence, safety, support, hope, love, all of that, listen, Jesus provides completely. We don't need to go anywhere else for it. Purely and simply in the merits of who He is and His grace and His love. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's close in prayer. And uh, yeah, Father, thank You so much for Your Word. God, thank you for these beautiful pictures that we get to look at these past Sundays, portraits of Christ, that I pray God would lead us into a greater adoration, a greater appreciation of who Christ is, of all that you've done for us, Lord, of your great love and mercy for us. And Lord, that we do not have to go anywhere else. God, forgive us if we begin to wander. God, forgive us if we've been uh, tempted or entertained by thinking, well, I'll pursue these things or that thing. Lord, you remind us that outside of Jesus Christ, nothing will satisfy, nothing will complete us, nothing will will bring us to a right standing with the Father. It's only in Christ that we find all of these things. And so, Lord, more than anything, I guess, Lord, help us to press in that much more then. Thank you that you save us to the uttermost. Thank you, Jesus, that you always live 
to pray for us, to intercede for us. We love you and we thank you for who you are and what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right, gang, God bless you. Uh, I pray that you have a great week. Pray for us for VBS.